Well, it's just one thing after another these days, isn't it? Uh, hey, folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel for going on 12 years now. Um, we started this, yeah, over a decade ago, and it's still going. There have been some changes over the years. Um, it used to be weekly, which was a lot of work, uh, but now two, two or three a month feels very doable to me uh, with my schedule. Um, so some bad news this week, uh, which is really disappointing to me um, because I love doing this show, uh, but the, the network has canceled us. Um, it was quite a blow um, because I love meeting new writers and I love having these conversations with writers and I don't know a way to do that outside of this show. So here's the thing. We're going to keep doing the show. Um, we're, we're going to find a new way to do the show, a new way to deliver it to you, hopefully in this same podcast feed. Um, that is the goal. I'm talking to a couple of other networks, but honestly, like, despite being a kind of institution at this point, uh, they're, it's a pretty niche show. It's, it's, you know, the audience is passionate, but not enormous. Um, and I love this audience. Like I love hearing from having writers on who listen to the show in their car on the way to their first jobs uh, and who are now, you know, show creators or upper level writers. Like that's really satisfying. That's really flattering. Uh, I feel like we're doing something here, something valuable. I know it is to me. Um, and I think it is to many of you that I, I'm lucky enough to hear from on Twitter and for as long as that lasts. And, uh, but more so on, on the Substack, on the newsletter, benblacker.substack.com. Um, anyway, the goal is to keep going. Um, do a bunch of episodes every month, meet new writers, talk to new writers, talk about the craft and business. Um, I hope to keep it in this podcast feed what you should do is subscribe to the newsletter so that you learn of any changes. Um, again, that's benblacker.substack.com. And honestly, I think the newsletter is worth it. I think, I think I'm doing some good writing there. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I've loved meeting people who subscribe and interacting with those folks in our monthly Q&A sessions that we have with professional writers. Uh, we're doing a get-together in March. So by the time you hear this, it will have happened. And it was great. Um, so please go, go subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I, I do think that's likely where the podcast will end up living. Um, but this thing costs money and, and I'd really like to keep working with my engineer, Jordan Katz, who, who does great work on it. It's, you know, it's, a it's, a markedly better sounding show since he came on board a few years ago. Um, so we're trying to figure out a way that, that Jordan can keep working on it and I can, we can keep getting him paid. Um, but we'll see, you know, it's, it's growing pains and it's different to the situation, you know, however many years ago, five, six years ago, uh, when we left Nerdist and joined Forever Dog because Nerdist just stopped doing podcasts. <laughs> it was not, personal and this feels personal 
but it's hard not to, right? I mean, this comes up on the podcast a lot. This is an industry of disappointment and podcasts are now very similar to TV in that way. It used to be you could just put something up and people would listen, but now there are a million podcasts and they're getting millions of listeners um, and people who are very famous have them. And, you know, I, I don't have that platform. Um, but I still think we're doing something good. Uh, I still believe in the show. So I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep bringing it to you. Um, so please keep subscribing. Bear with some, you know, I think it'll be a couple months of some some different kinds of episodes. I'm going to do some more one-on-one episodes like you'll hear in the next uh, few we- weeks uh, and probably months um, because I have a hunch I'm going to start putting those together myself uh, to give Jordan uh, a little break until we can figure out how to bring him back in. Um, also, I, I've been really enjoying these one-on-one episodes. I feel like we can get more specific on shows and movies uh, that the folks have worked on. So you'll, you will be hearing some of that stuff. And, and I think there's different information and advice to be gleaned from those um, that I think is valuable. Um, yeah, hopefully it'll sound as good as it has in the past few years. Um, but again, bear with me. Uh, hopefully we're going to be entering a new era of the Writers Panel podcast. And uh, it'll be bigger and better than it's ever been. Or exactly the same as it's ever been <laughs> consistently of a quality that uh, I am not ashamed of. Um, I don't know. Listen, it's the strangest time. I'm sure I'll record another intro uh, in a couple of months talking about what's going on in the industry when we have a better idea of what's going on in the industry. But for now, um, let's let's keep our heads up, but also keep our heads down doing the work. Um, let's keep our hopes up and and trust in our leadership that, you know, we're going to get the best thing for us as a whole. Um, I have to believe that. And I do believe that. Uh, I think these are smart people who are in the negotiations now. Um, and I think they are, they have a pretty clear view of what it's like on the ground for most of us. Anyway, more of that, I'm sure, to come. Um, in the meantime, please uh, subscribe to the Substack, benblacker.substack.com. Uh, I do think it's worth your while. I think, you know, what I'm trying to do there is distill a lot of the ideas and advice that come through on the writer's panel for these past 12 years. Um, we're also offering a lot of other fun stuff. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll see you there. Uh, and for now, I'm still on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. Follow me there uh, for updates and so forth. And also fun jokes. It's still okay over there if you limit... <laughs> who you're following for the most part. All right. That's it for now. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Thank you for sticking with me um, in these annoying next few months. Uh, I really do appreciate it. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. And it's starting now. Oh, yeah. And what I'm going to do, 
Hi, Stephen. Thank you for being here. What I'm going to do is ask you to introduce yourself on the microphone so the listener knows who you are and tell us some places where they may have seen your name on their television screen or in their playbill. Sure. Uh, my name is Stephen Levinson uh, and I am a writer. Um, I, you may have seen my name. Um, I was one of the creators and executive producers of Fosse Burden on FX. Um, and I wrote the book for the musical D.R. Van Hansen, uh, on stage. And I, um, I wrote the screenplay for Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix, um, last year or two years ago. Um, so those are just some of the places. And and we'll get to a bunch of that stuff because I, I want to get into some specifics on some of the previous stuff. But let's start talking about uh, Up Here, uh, which is the new show. It's coming to Hulu. Um, just, let's just like talk generally about how this came together, how you got involved. Um, you know, how did this become a show? Um, this was a, a wild journey. It, it began for me, at least, um, in the spring of 2020. Um, but it actually began, the the concept began germinating many years before that. It was um, Bobby and Kristen Lopez, the songwriters, um, had been working on a stage musical um, that actually began with Bobby in, I want to say 2003, like a really long time ago. Um, and, and it's an interesting genesis, I think, where, where Bobby was um, in graduate school for musical theater writing. Uh, and like on the first day, they they learned the rudiments of, of how you write a great musical. And they were told the, the building blocks of a great musical are a, a main character who's incredibly extroverted, incredibly, um, you know, uh, assertive, knows what they want and gets it and moves in that direction uh, and has big feelings and shows their feelings. And it's really helpful if it also takes place, you know, long, a long time ago and far, far away. Um, those are the best musicals. And Bobby thought to himself, well, I could never write a musical about somebody like me. Uh, Bobby was someone who's, you know, like I think a lot of writers, a little more introverted, a little more, um, you know, uh, he's not a knight fighting dragons, um, you know, unlike some writers, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and but But what he thought was, well, actually in my head every day, there are huge epic things going on. There are gigantic stakes and there are battles and there are, um, you know, tragedies and and like every minute of every day, my my neuroses and my anxieties and my fears and my fantasies. Um, and what if I wrote a musical about that world? Um, and so, so Bobby and Kristen wrote this musical called Up Here um, that they developed over many years. Um, that was that was similar in some ways. It had a lot of the same building blocks as the TV series ultimately would, uh, but was also very different in other ways. Um, and so they they developed that show. Uh, it had a run at La Jolla Playhouse. They were really happy with it. Um, and then they kind of put it away. And then in the summer of 2020, uh, Tommy Kale, the director who I worked with um, on Fosse Burden, uh, had reached out to them and, and asked them if there was anything that they were interested in doing in TV. Um, and this again was, uh, June, 2020. And so it was like two and a half months, three months into the pandemic. Um, and it was really, for those who don't remember, it was not the greatest of times. Um, and, and it was also <laughs> a time where like people who worked in theater, we, we weren't sure like when theater was coming back, if theater was coming back, like that was a real question it was like, is it going to be years before anything is on stage? Um, and 
And so they they thought of up here as as something that that this idea of seeing inside a character's head, they wondered if there was something about the screen where you could capture that in a way that would feel more seamless, more poetic, more what they had envisioned than you can do on a stage. Um, and they were really curious about that. You know, with, as we talked about when we first started talking about it, like on stage to have a character in somebody's head, they still have to make an entrance. They have to put on a costume. They have to like, there's something a little cumbersome about that versus um, what they always were interested in talking about was our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions. And those are lightning fast. You know, th those happen in a cut, like they're right there. Um, so, so it felt right. And so they then reached out to me and were like, I think the same day. And we're like, would you want to do this too? And I said, of course, you know, I was desperate to work with them and I was desperate to work with Tommy again. Um, and I was also sitting at home, you know, waiting out the apocalypse like everybody else. Um, and then, you know, very quickly, we realized we should bring in somebody who knew how to write a half an hour TV show because <laughs> none of us had done that. I'd done, um, I started, you know, my career in TV working on a bunch of different hour long dramas. Um, I was on the show Masters of Sex for a bunch of years, and uh, but I'd never done a 30 minute show. And so we, uh, Tommy knew this writer, Danielle Sanchez Witzel, who we we met and talked to and was amazing and everything we were looking for and loved musicals, but had never done one herself. Um, and then like from that point on, it was like, I want to say two years or at least 18 months of daily Zooms, like throughout, like basically the, the whole pandemic. Um, we were just on Zooms together every day, six to eight hours a day. And we never met Danielle. Like we, none of us had ever met Danielle, except I, maybe Tommy had, but but Danielle lived in Los Angeles. We all lived in New York. And so for a very long time, like Danielle was the person I spoke to the most during the pandemic. We got incredibly close. We'd never actually seen each other, which was bizarre, but also kind of amazing. Um, but, 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 but we kind of like, as we began talking about like what this thing could be, um, we, we, we first started with the characters and trying to figure out, um, I, I think what we knew we wanted to keep from the musical was obviously this idea of somehow we were exploring the world of people's heads. Um, and we wanted to keep a love story like that seemed right to us. And, and the genesis of, or not the genesis, but, but, but like one of the main pieces of DNA of the show was this question um, that Bobby and Kristen were really fascinated by of like, can you ever really know somebody else? Can you ever really know yourself? Like, is it possible to, to ever kind of escape the confines of your own head and actually see somebody else for who they are and be seen by somebody else? Or are we just so trapped by our, you know, fears and traumas and pasts that we can't get past that? And so we we thought those were like great questions to ground a series um was that yeah, let me it, interrupt for a sec was that theme baked into the uh original musical or was it something that came out of the conversation such a good question i think it was it's been so long now i think i think that was in the original show was like yes how do you escape like the solipsism of your own brain um and then what we did like one of the big changes we made um was in the stage show they they only had one character whose head you kind of visit um and, and we knew from the beginning and they knew from the beginning like one of their big 
things that they wished they had been able to do with the show was get into both characters' heads. So that was something like we were really excited about. And then we we had to figure out like, well, what does that mean to see inside somebody? What is inside somebody's head? Um, we knew we kind of had to like come up with some kind of like what what's interesting about that concept and we've seen a lot of versions of that there have been a lot of versions of that and we looked at like herman's head and we looked at um or we talked about inside out and all of those had a kind of like the, the, people's heads are filled with like archetypal figures uh and emotions and and like kind of ego and id and all of that and, and which is interesting and and but what we wanted to do was like well what if your head is filled with your past and your history. And that's what you carry around with you is, is the wounds of the past. And, and each of those wounds would be kind of personified by the person that that gave you those wounds. Um, and so that each of these characters would have these, these, these people that were with them all the time, that were real people that they knew um, that were not um, representative of larger forces, but were actually like, that's actually her mom in her head um, or her, you know, her projection of her mom. I, I think that that to me was um, the most interesting part of the series. And I think it's like a really smart and and fun way to explore characters psychology. Um, I want to I want to pause here for a sec and ask about, you know, you you've worked on a number of shows where there is this sort of group of collaborators uh, behind it. Um, and I, I want to ask, like, what do you bring to that group? Why do you think that folks are coming to you and or why are you seeking out these groups? What's your superpower in these collaborations? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> uh, I really love collaborating. I mean, I love uh, the give and take of it. Um, and I love, I, I, I think, you know, things can be made by committee, but but not when you do it right. I think when you do it right, it's additive. Um, and we all, everyone I have worked with at least comes to it with very strong opinions and very strong takes and, you know, it's the best idea wins. And like, so I, that's sort of how it works. I mean, I think, I guess what I bring to it is, I, I guess my writing, I would say in a, you know, like is the sim most simplistic answer. Um, and my, uh, my storytelling instincts such as they are, and with musicals in particular, I think you know, for whatever reason, I, I have a real, um, I really love the challenge of how do you, how do you combine dialogue and music? Like it, like, and I think it's a really specific challenge and a real kind of crossword puzzle sometimes, um, of how you get into songs and out of songs and how you, uh, what you discover really quickly is like, a song lives or dies by the scene around it and the scenes leading up to it and the scenes after it. Like, like that's really everything. Like if a song isn't supported, um, if it's not set up right, then, then it's, you're going to think it's a bad song. You're going to think like, well, that song wasn't great. But the truth is like, it didn't stand a chance because it wasn't, uh, the launch pad wasn't correct. Um, and so I really, you know, I, I enjoy that that part of it a lot. Let's let's talk about that for a sec cuz I think that's really interesting. Um and and you know, it's a different approach I would imagine like between Dear Evan Hansen and Fosse Verdon. Like the the music in that show is baked in, right? Like there's there's a reason for that music to exist. Um but like 
when when you were working on Dear Evan Hansen and, and that premiered in what 2016. So I imagine you had a few years before that where you were working the show. Um, this was almost 10 years ago. What did your process of coming to understand the way that scenes and music work together look like then as opposed to now? Um, it is definitely a muscle that you like, and it's not, so, I mean, I think I had some intuition going into it. Um, I knew musicals pretty well and, and, and I had some feel for it, but I, but you definitely get better and better at it. Um, and so when I started, I didn't really know what a song, the point of a song was, you know, like I thought, you know, here's a fun, here's a fun place for a song. Here's a, you know, this feels like it could be a song. And then I think what I really learned from Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who I wrote um, Dear Evan Hansen with was how great songs need to be built into the storytelling. Um, and essentially, and this is something Bobby and Kristen say too, is like a great song, a character will start here and then they end there. And like, if, if that doesn't happen, if there's not some kind of transformation within a song, then it's going to feel static and um, which is, you know, incidentally, I think why jukebox musicals can be really difficult and pop songs don't always translate to stage because a great pop song is often pretty static. You know, it's the same idea over and over and over again. And it's great and it's fun, but it doesn't tell a story. And um, I think what I learned, especially from them, is like that, that, that you know, you want songs to come in moments of decisions when a character is deciding to go this way or that way, like, um, and is really confronting a choice to be made. <clears throat> um, and, and you want it, you want a song to come at a moment when the emotion, um, and again, this this sort of becomes your problem as, as the writer is, the, the emotion of the character and the story has to build to such a point where speech becomes no longer adequate to capture what the character is feeling and they have to sing. Like there has to be that feeling of like a pressure valve um, being released. Like um, you you want to figure out how to torque it. So it feels like, yeah, the, the only thing they can do now is sing. And if the, and then, you know, the corollary to that is like, then they can dance, you know, like, like each thing that you kind of have to keep building. Um, so those are like the rules I would say. And, and then, you know, with this series, I think, I think what I knew going into it and then learned more and more and more was like that the songs, the songs had to be rooted in, in characters and their desires. I mean, to, to be really simplistic about it, like a, a great song is like a great monologue in that it's really exploring what a character wants, you know, like that, that's really the, the, the impetus often for a song um, or trying to figure out what they want. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, like something I, I discovered in in this series and, and all of us discovered is like the, the other thing that's so important and is trickier on TV, it's, you kind of take it for granted on stage is like trying to come up with some kind of thematic consistency and unity within an episode, which is something that, that you know, pretty early on, like in our earliest versions uh, or imaginings of the series, we, we did have a lot of just kind of like funny ideas for songs. Um, and ultimately, Bobby and Kristen are such honest, authentic writers that they're always looking for songs that are true and songs that are going to be deep and actually like have some force behind them. 
And so they could write a really funny, like, you know, punchline of a song, but they didn't really want to. And so like we we learned that that we were looking for songs that would have some not just emotional intensity and depth, but also an idea behind them, like something to say, some some bigger thought. Um, because otherwise they would just feel like forgettable. And, and and then like I was saying, like the other thing is like within an episode, how do you make it feel like the songs are connected? Um, and, and that what, what you're seeing is one thing and not like, you know, two random pieces of music, um, which that was a real challenge in like 30 minutes, minutes of storytelling. Like, how do you, um, how do you make a cohesive, you know, integrated musical? Yeah, I, I, it presents so many different storytelling challenges that I think are really interesting. And like, let, let's, I want to zero in for a sec on this idea of um, songs coming at a moment of decision or even of, of high emotion. And like the challenges you face in, in telling this eight or 10 episode story um, and having to manufacture decisions for your character and high emotion for your character every 15, 20 minutes. Like, I mean, my question is really, how do you do that? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I, I will say like, that was the biggest challenge um, for sure. was like, you know, the, we felt like in the writer's room, we had a, a higher bar um, than usual. Like we, we couldn't just come up with fun stories. Um, or engaging stories or compelling stories. We needed to come up with stories that, yeah, that would present our characters with big emotional decisions and big emotional turning points. Um, and so, you know, when we first started talking about the series, I think it was 10 episodes. And then we were like, no, 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 it's eight episodes. <laughs> um, so that's one of the answers. It's like, you just can't do it that, that many times. Um, I think the other... You know, the other way that we tackled it was to try to think about the the season as one long musical. Um, and, and so each of these episodes would be like its own one act musical within this larger musical. Um, and so that also gave us a few compass points of like, you know, we kind of figured this out retroactively, but it was like in episode seven, we sort of have our 11 o'clock number from Lindsay, which typically in a musical is like toward the end of the second act. Um, and we did talk about it as a two act season, like <clears throat> the first five episodes um, are really like, will they, won't they, th this, these characters, and then spoiler alert, but like six, seven and eight are like, what happens next basically. Um, and so uh, that was also really helpful was like, was like mapping it out that way, but it definitely was like, you have to think really structurally with musicals um, and be really conscientious of that. And even on that, you know, episode to episode um, break, you're still giving over a third of an episode to songs. And and yes. granted, those are hopefully driving the characters forward. Yes, yes. Um, but like that doesn't leave you a lot of real estate to play with. No, that was the other big challenge was like, how do we actually tell these stories? Uh, in and, and you know when we talked about making it longer, but there was there's also something really satisfying I think when you can pull it off of like you know having telling a really short story with music it's like it it's it's really there's no filler 
Um, that's definitely something we discovered in the writing. It was like, how do we just get this down to the bone? Um, you also worked with uh, a great writer's room on this, it looks like. Um, how did you work with them? What was their experience in this medium? Yeah, I mean, you know, Danielle and I, uh, when we were talking about a writer's room, we, we always sort of thought we would kind of have a hybrid of like uh, theater writers and comedy writers. And it ultimately ended up being mostly comedy writers, TV comedy writers, um, with a few people who had theater experience. I think we felt like we had a lot of theater experience already, like between Bobby, Kristen, Tommy and me, like we we felt like we had that covered and we really wanted people who had comedy brains and, and had been in that genre um, and people who had interesting experiences and different kinds of experiences. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the writer's room was like, you know, we definitely asked everybody if they liked musicals. That was a big question, like in all of the interviews. And 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 we we felt like we couldn't hire anybody that didn't like musicals. You know, like that just felt um so we wanted but, but it was okay if people didn't know a lot about musicals. Um and actually like pretty early, maybe the first or second week of the room, Bobby and Kristen gave like a kind of like masterclass in musicals, um, which they had done for uh, Danielle and me too, or they had sent us, they, they basically have a document of, that they've created of like different kinds of songs and how they work. It was super helpful. And like, and using examples, like I, I find it's always helpful to use examples from Disney movies, partly because we know them so well. And partly because they're just, the musical storytelling is so clear. Like in a movie like Moana, um, you just can see, which is on my brain because my kids watch it all the time. But like you just see how those songs work so so clearly the mechanics of them, um, and so so everybody learned a lot about how musicals work, uh, whether they wanted to or not. Um, but I guess you know we wanted people also to be really um, excited and you know open to sharing whatever they were willing to share about their own experiences with love, and with you know it, to some extent that's all writers' rooms are like you know big therapy sessions of people sharing. Um, embarrassing, terrible, funny stories uh, from their own lives. But this, you know, we really wanted to like all of us to mine our experiences of like um, those little things in relationships that uh, that maybe don't seem like such a big deal that we felt like in this series, we could kind of magnify um, like how those really feel. I, I assume you were all sort of running the show together. Well, ultimately, like it was me running the room um, Danielle ultimately like because it took so long to develop ended up like she was then had another show that was going so like I ended up running the room um, and then Bob but Bobby and Kristen were there like a very large amount of the time and if they weren't they were probably writing songs <laughs> I was gonna say they they were creating yes, exactly, new songs all the time uh, and then they were like the other you know crazy thing about the series was like they had to, we had to write all the songs and the scripts before we started. And then we actually like, the first thing we did on the show was um, the actors came in and recorded the whole score. Like, so without shooting a single frame of film, like the actors sang through their entire parts. We had it recorded and finished, um, which was weird, you know? This, maybe you can speak to this. I mean, I assume you were around for all of it, um, but like, how do you, how did Tommy and how did you work with the actors to sort of walk them through the story, get them 
in the right place for these songs before they had acted out the stories. You know, it's a great, you know, it, it was really a team effort and, and Bobby and Kristen are so good at working with actors um, vocally and character. I mean, their vocal work is all character based, you know, like it's all, it really is all acting. Um, and those recording sessions kind of became our secret rehearsals. Like, like we couldn't really have, we, we just didn't have time to do real rehearsals. But, but with the actors there in the studio, we talked through the moments um, leading up to the songs um, and really got to explore character with them. Like they became a real gift to us um, unexpectedly of like just kind of, yeah, secret built in rehearsals. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you you got them to live with these characters in yeah, exactly. a way that often comes from rehearsal, right? Yes, um, yes. <laughs> Um, I wanted to go back to talking about the room. Um, so, so you started out in uh, the Masters of Sex room, um, and um, I like Michelle Ashford a lot. Uh, I liked that show a lot, um, and I think she did a great job running it. I'm curious to hear what you took from that experience when it came time to start running your own rooms. It's you know, we'll say like, and she said this at the time. I remember her saying this, like, you when you're writing on the staff of a show, you think you know what the showrunner does and what that job consists of. And you really, you just can't know until you're in it. Like, it's just, it's a totally different chair to sit in. And like, um, I just remember being a staff writer and just constantly fretting about, oh my God, did Michelle like my draft? She hasn't said anything, you know, like, and then, and then realizing like, Oh, she had a million things to do. Like my feelings were not the top of her uh, list. Um, but but what I learned from Michelle, I think, I mean, first of all, Michelle's such an incredible writer, and I learned a huge amount about just writing from her. Um, like those years on Masters of Sex were, um, like I'd written some TV before, but I really that was totally grad school for me. And and Amy Littman, who was another executive producer on the show, like the two of them. I just learned so much from them about how how to structure a scene in TV, how to structure an episode. And I think, you know, I think the thing that I really took away from Michelle is like running a show, it is so, there's so much to do and it gets so macro. Um, but But Michelle was always focused on the script and always focused back on the script. And like, ultimately that is, and story. And like, like that's really, you, you can't lose sight of that. Like every script kind of has to be great or at least as great as you can make it. Like you can't, it can be easy to, to start sort of shooting for a B minus, like as you go along, because it just gets so overwhelming and piles up. And, and I just felt like Michelle was always pretty relentless in, in, in refining and perfecting and, and never letting it yeah, just never letting it be average. That's great to hear. Um, and it's a good lesson. Uh, and I wonder what also, like having worked in theater for so long and in and out of theater while you were working in TV, what do you take from those that experience that you apply to show running as well or to writing? Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is that show running is, is it's very different from playwriting in some ways, but there's a lot of overlap. Um, versus like screenwriting where there's very little overlap, I would say. Because um, usually as a screenwriter of a film, you're kind of, you're a writer and you like, you write the thing and then you turn the thing in and then it's it's kind of out of your hands, you know, for the most part, um, often. Uh, and in theater, 
you're there the through the entire process and you're you're in the room casting you're in the room with the designers the difference is that in theater the playwright is kind of like you sort of have veto power over everything or you sort of have the last say um but but the director is really steering those decisions of you know the director is the one who actually works with the designers to make the design and, the, and then comes to you and you sort of weigh in and give your thoughts but as a showrunner you're 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 the one steering all of those conversations um but it's certainly like one thing that it really prepared me for which i think can be a shock and a terror <laughs> for writers and it certainly was for me as a player it was like talking to actors um and, and dealing with with actors which is just like it's it's a huge part of your job um and and uh and it's it's different than any other kind of conversation um and it can be really scary and overwhelming and um because uh, actors are looking at a script or a story from a totally different perspective than you are um, and it's a very helpful perspective and, and and there's a give and take and it's just about um i just th i just think there's something about that relationship that um when you come up in theater you just are used to that you're used to talking to actors you're used to that relationship and then in in you know, in TV and film, when you're not actually producing, you you just don't have any sense of that. You write your script again and you turn it in and then at some point you see the cut and, and it's just there. Um, and, and there's a real skill of of, of talking to actors and, and handling their questions and um, and talking them through things and, you know, kind of you know, hearing other people's ideas and and welcoming others' ideas, but also standing up for the ones that that feel like you have to stand up for them. And like that's that's all something that that I I felt like I got a crash course in playwriting for sure. Was there was there a point uh, I, with up here at which like you knew your cast and so could write towards them? Not really, unfortunately. That was a real like, and that's just sort of the way. TV is made now a little where we're like we wrote the whole show and then started shooting it like two months later you know so so there was no overlap I, there was time to tailor things to the actors which I definitely did and, and did throughout this the season and like refining and on the day making changes but but yeah that was that's a tricky thing like and definitely the older model of like you sort of write something you do a pilot figure it out and then you create the whole season based on like you, you know what you have like you see people's strengths you see like whether chemistry works but like this this is you know we got incredibly lucky with this cast and how enormously talented they are and 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 the fact that they just have this instant chemistry but those were all things that we just like day one showed up and crossed our fingers wow yeah that's bananas yes um I want to, before we run out of time, I do want to talk about uh, Fosse Verdon. I, I loved that show. Um, you all you all did a tremendous job on that, I think. Um, and I just want to kind of hear about like, what were what were the fun parts of that show and what were the challenges of that show? There was a lot of, there was a lot of fun in that show. I mean, I mean maybe it's always easier to remember the challenges, but I think, you know, the, the, the initial challenge of it was like, you know, when I started talking about it with, with Tommy, like, what we had was this book, this big book called Fosse, and and we knew um, we knew Sam Rockwell was interested in doing it, and like that's what we had to start with. And it took us; we struggled for a while with like, well, 
what what is what is our take on this story? Why tell this story? Um, particularly because all that jazz was Bob kind of telling that story. So like, why are we telling Bob's story again? Um, and then increasingly, like in the world that we were living in, as as like Me Too was really coming to the fore, like, what does that mean to tell this story? Um, and then we just we kind of discovered, I put that like in scare quotes because she was there all along, but like Gwen Verdon in all of these stories about Bob Fosse was sort of always to the side and, and in the wings, like, you know, and she, she would make these appearances in anything you read about him, but like, where was she, what was she doing? And, um, and so once we landed on that idea of like, oh, that's actually the story that that's when it all crystallized for us. But that, that took a while. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, the challenge, the other challenge was like, how do you break that story into eight parts? Like we could have done it in 30 parts, could have done it in, you know, so, so it was like figuring out what parts of the story we wanted to tell. And I think with any of those things, like with, with the sort of biopic um, or bio series, it's like figuring out, you actually have to figure out the angle that you, that you are telling, like, what is the story you're telling? It can't be the story is the story of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon, it has to be, you have to have some kind of thesis that's going to pull you through. Um, and for us, it was this relationship. And it was um, these two people who were really like addicted to each other, addicted to um, being on stage, to being seen, to all of that, like, um, and the consequences of that. I wonder, like, is this a approach that you have to take for any material, right? Like, what what is my angle? What is my, what is this about, right? Yes. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And you will always, at least I always have, like, you'll get to the point in the process where either you or somebody else is going to say, well, what is this all about? You know, or what's the point? You know, and it's a really terrifying question because you can get really you can get really buried in the details of the story and, you know, the plot, I, or I guess plot is probably the better word and lose track of the story. Like what is the larger kind of, what is it about? Um, why are you telling this? Um, so yeah, you absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. You have to have that. You've written uh, non-musical plays. Um, you've written some non-musical television. Yes. Why, are you going to make it easy on yourself and like huh. in the future, do some more non-musical television? <laughs> Yes. Well, it's funny. Yeah, I I feel pretty excited to do a non-musical next, I would say. Um, I, you know, it's like, it's a it's a really fun challenge, but it is a challenge. And it's like, um, uh, yeah, and I just want to, you know, like anybody, or I think like most writers, like I, I love to do something new. So. Uh, and is that what you're pursuing uh, next? Something new? Yeah, yes. I think so. Um, I mean, I'll kind of always come back to there. There is an incredible power of music. I, I think everybody knows that. Um, and and I love music, and I love musicals, and and so that that will always be part of my work and my life. But, but yeah, I would also like to to stretch other muscles. Um, you know, you've worked now with Tommy Kale a few times. What makes you two work well together? I think you know. Tommy, you know, and Lynn is like this too. Uh, Tommy is somebody who really is a true collaborator and truly like um, one of his great skills is assembling a great team and and letting them 
do their best work. And that goes that goes for me in the process too. Like, like I think um, he is not a micromanager at that level. He's somebody who really hires the best people and then trusts them to do their work. And then obviously he has his role in that too. But but so he gives as a director, like as a writer with with Tommy, I feel a tremendous amount of freedom. Um, and I feel like like he's his approach is always how do I realize your intentions uh, which is a very kind of theater director approach like that, that's what you learn as a theater director is like you know the playwright my job as a director is to, to figure out what the playwright wanted to make this and, and try to bring that forth and and he brings that spirit to everything of like what were the writers thinking what did they want and how can I how can I best um be be you know the the, the force through which that comes through um and I also think you know He's so good. He's so good at what he does like at every level. Um, and he's so meticulous and exacting. And um, he, you feel very safe with Tommy. Um, and I think for writers, I think for actors, I think for like you, you, that's often what you want from a collaborator is the feeling of like, uh, he's got this, you know, and, and, and that I, you don't have to sort of, be worried about everything because you know he's thinking two steps ahead of you like he, he's already seen the problems before you have um and definitely also as a producer like he's, he's just so on top of it um he's so his brain is so capacious um yeah I think I think he's great <laughs> well we look forward to whatever you two cook up next um say uh, up here as of this uh release uh, I think the first episode or two have been out so folks can go to Hulu go watch the show yes they're actually they're all coming out at the same time so you can watch yes then they are all out I think this week um and and folks should check it out um we'll end as we always do by asking what you're watching on television these days what's getting you excited or inspired what are you talking about with your friends and loved ones and collaborators the show that really one of the shows that really stuck with me this year which is so and maybe a lot of people feel this way it's so like unlike what i usually watch but andor um was was a series that really took me by surprise um and i found myself really thinking about and talking about and um i'm not a star wars person at all um but it really i, I thought it was so thrilling and, and such a so intricate and like complicated and naughty and um yeah just like it was this sneaky way of really talking about these huge questions of like how do you make change in a society and what are the costs um and and so i i was really struck by that show is there some part of you that is interested in genre storytelling yeah actually i i do really i yes because i think I kind of, I mean, I grew up with like those Amblin movies were really like my favorite movies as a kid, you know, E.T. and Jurassic Park, Close Encounters. Like there is something in those stories where if you can get it right and you can, um, you can find what's universal and human in them, I, I think they can be amazing. Um, so yes, I'm always kind of tempted by that idea for sure. I mean, it, it, they function in, like musicals Absolutely. in so many ways, Absolutely. right? These spectacles yeah. is yes. telling part of that story. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, tack on. I will, Let's I see will. what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stephen, thank you so much for chatting. Uh, congrats on the show. Uh, come back and chat anytime. Oh, thank you so much.